Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast. Living large in New York. I am Rabbit Number One, Michael Nunez. We have Rabbit Number Two, Dave Anderson, and Rabbit Number Three, Sophie Kreutz. And today we'll be talking about ubiquitous language. Mm, ubiquitous. Uh, it's in the air. Can you? It's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's just permea- it? It's permeating. Yeah, it's not the smell of the construction. <laughs> What would you call my that? Apartment. <laughs> what What would you call that? Smell in the air. This is, is ubiquitous, but it's not a language. It's a smell. <laughs> is it the building thing service? Is it the, or is it the wake me up early and make me angry service? Yeah, but ubiquitous language is nothing to be angry at. <laughs> it's a really great tool that you can use with your team, your technical team, your non-technical team, like in design to be able to talk with each other yeah i guess that's the idea right is that there's this venn diagram between different stakeholders and your system naming conventions because they ideally correspond to real world concepts they fall into the middle of that venn diagram and everybody understands the naming convention yeah i mean it's not like you know i think of ubiquitous language not like a tangible thing more like a concept that everyone should have in their brain before they come up with, you know, particular pieces of language or words that coincide within the two sides of that Venn diagram. Mm. I know that a lot of the times I've worked at a place where this was like really difficult, but there was a glossary that existed, Mm. but it was just like, oh, when the domain expert says this, they actually mean this in the system, which is like (laughs) very, very difficult. Like actually a translation. Yeah. 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 It was more of a translation more than a glossary of the words that domain experts would say. And that is the opposite of what ubiquitous language is trying to do with the systems in place of keeping a glossary and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess like it sounded like you were like pretty close there. Like you <laughs> you had the glossary and like you both had language so you could communicate. But I think it sounds like the thing that was missing was the most important part of ubiquitous language is that like there's a conversation between all the people who need to use it and they, mm-hmm. they decide what language is going to be used so that you don't need a translation layer. You just need to have like an idea. Right. Yeah, no, it was very, very difficult at some point. And we were like, we should change some of the things in our systems because they're saying things, you know, and we shouldn't do this heavy translation portion to understand something. We should just be using their words per se or talk about why, if we think their words don't make any sense to us, why that's the case and then come up with a consensus versus a one-way directional conversational flow. Do you think there was something in particular that kept you from like aligning on ubiquitous terms? I can't recall right now at the moment, but it was more about like not having the time to rename certain things or like the system was pretty legacy at that point for us to do a renaming of sorts would have been a hair pulling. But I think that was like in mind, like, hey, this is a lot of overhead that we should not deal with. And this is something that we should, you know, focus when we extend the application or, you know, start a Greenfield project that will 
change the legacy system essentially oh yeah i guess that's a great point like the momentum of like the current system as it is like can make it really hard to kind of adopt that but like Mm -hmm. if you have like really powerful like editor like intellij has wonderful refactoring tools like i feel like using those tools like made it easier for me on like different teams that i've been on to actually adopt ubiquitous language because like in any case like it's going to evolve over time and your understanding will become more clear and so i I remember like on one project that we were working on like we were thinking about this from the start so we generally had like a pretty good language and a good way to communicate about it and it was you know object oriented we were doing go and it was in the network domain but the thing that let us like really be flexible with it was like being able to refactor so we would have like this concept of like a probe and then the probe would do something over the network but it could do it different ways like a dns probe or a tcp probe or HTTP probe and so there were all these different ways that it could do that but you know kind of having that flexibility to refactor because I don't think we started with probe I think it was just like DNS thing you know (laughs) (laughs) right but yeah I guess if you said that in a refinement meeting or something not everyone would potentially know what that was right so it sounds like you established like a glossary of terms that made sense to all stakeholders is that right yeah and we tried to have like a sketch as the system was evolving like how it looked and how we were trying to get it to look or like if when we were like kind of evolving the language like okay like we can change these things in this way and then so that kind of facilitated the refactor so that it ended up with like a more consistent language I'm curious, just for the thought exercise, could we come up with an example of like the opposite of ubiquitous language, kind of like we were doing when we were thinking about the construction, right? Like what's something you could call a concept or a service or a method, a function that would not be ubiquitous? I definitely had a problem or a challenge working on the front end, talking to designers where they would provide us with mock-ups and in the mock-ups they would indicate which colors they were using or like what the components were but like the components like similar to what mike was saying earlier where you had to have this like translation layer but we didn't even have the glossary as a translation layer yeah and they'd be like okay like this is red 30 so use red 30 and there's some hex code associated with it but if you look in the code there's no such thing as red 30 it is light red in the code but you have to search by the hex code search the hex code yeah so if i'm able to like have that agreement between the designer if they say something and i know what it is and i can just go and type it into Mm. the computer then that's right. that's kind of amazing. Like it helps you build the mental model a little bit better, and that, that extends to components too. Like in a design system, you might have like a primary button, but some people are calling it CTA button. Then, like you have to make sure that you know what that means. Like primary button is like okay, that's the bright red button that people can yeah. click on. It's not always a CTA, but mm-hmm. you know maybe in one particular case, it's a CTA. Well, and I think you're bringing up another good point here too, right? Is that like, it's not necessarily just about let's name it something that everybody agrees on, right? Like you could call it 
my favorite button or the button that does the thing. But, you know, the more so that you have to agree on it, but that also it has to like describe what it is, how you right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if one team's calling it the red button and the other team's calling it primary button or CTA button, then it doesn't really help. Yeah. Is that part of the domain-driven design here too, right? That you have to name it in a way that describes what it is or what it does? Yeah, like domain-driven design is kind of traditionally a toolkit for object-oriented programming. Like it can be applied to any kind of programming. So there's like kind of the objects like are the nouns with that act on each other with their methods, which are verbs. So if you're like drawing a picture of how all these things come together, then you can have the boxes be the objects and the lines be like, you know, the verbs of how they stick together. And like the DNS probe can... The DNS probe ask. Yeah, ask the DNS client, like, hey, what is what is the statistics for this thing? How many seconds does it take? Yeah. yeah, and I always, you know, there's that idea that naming things is hard in programming. <laughs> sure is. And it, it's really great to lean on something like domain-driven design because it gives you a system of things so that you can name your objects or classes that's more real world per se versus, you know, being caught in the, oh man, what should I name this thing? And then it's like, no, name it, name it what it really is and what it does. And, you know, start there and then make sure that that is what your team is calling it and what, you know, the business domain individuals are calling it as well. Right. I guess it's like if naming things is hard and everyone's solving that problem by themselves, like each time Mm. that they do it, each time they work on a problem, then it's going to be even harder because like when you go from one part of the area that, you know, Bobby made to the mm-hmm. other side of the program that John made, then like you won't right. be able to understand how to get those things to hook up. Oh, unless- yeah. So you might have like in one place it's called a guest and then somewhere else it's called a customer and then somewhere else it's called a user. And, you know, someone coming into this code base, they might not know that these things actually are supposed to be the same concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the absolute worst case scenario of it. <laughs> where like, not only is like the business people talking about it in a different way, or like the, your product and design people talking about it in a different way, but like the engineers and the different parts of the system are also talking about it in different ways. Yeah. Well, I guess that, that's maybe the time to like take a step back and try to codify that glossary. Yeah. And glossaries are a thing that exists that teams have. And I guess it's to ensure that they're defining the words that are used, not a translation, like I mentioned earlier. And it's just like, you know, making sure everyone's at the same page of, you know, what is a coupon, for example, and what is a customer versus a guest. And if there are differences, then the glossary would be able to separate that. And the language that's used within conversations within IPM and stuff like that are used just like they would be in the glossary. I do have a question. I know that domain-driven design talks about a domain expert a lot of the times. Who on your team would be considered a domain expert? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I was thinking about that too, because it seems like the glossary the terms that you choose ideally should reflect domain language as well. 
So I guess that could mean it's whoever like knows that domain language the best, right? Like if it's a music app, maybe someone who really knows the music industry. If it's a restaurant app, someone who really knows the restaurant industry, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It could be like either your product manager or a stakeholder or a customer relations person, like someone who's speaking, speaking the language. Knows how to talk the talk. Talk the talk. Yeah. And then the developers are there to walk the walk, I guess. <laughs> maybe. Or uh, maybe oh, everyone yeah. walks the walk. I don't know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> well, ubiquitously, we're all talking the talk. No. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's, it's the language. There's no walking there involved here yet, I guess. So, you know, I implore the listeners to kind of look at their systems that they're currently working on and see, are they following any ubiquitous language or are they breaking the rules of that? Right. Cause I think like, I can't remember and pinpoint the start of my career where I started thinking in this particular way, but I knew that it made sense to before I picked up domain driven design. And then I read, you know, the concepts of ubiquitous language. So I guess I'll ask, like, when do you start to teach, like, that concept? When do you start picking up ubiquitous language? Day one. Because, <laughs> like, I have, a, I mentioned, I have a friend who, you know, is learning how to program. And I can see that sometimes, like, variable names can be just like X or B. And it's just like a placeholder for this, you know, leak code kind of problem. I know it's not like the same as an actual application, but I try to tell him like, hey, no, no, you should like actually try and name this variable. What is this variable doing? Or like, what is it? And it's just like, bro, it's K. Like it's the letter K and that's it. Isn't it obvious? Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to use it as K and that's what we're going to do. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense, though, because like if you're just learning programming, like it's hard to practice multiple things at once. Like it's like Mm. I'm just trying to get this for loop thing under control. (laughs) (laughs) Under control. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it's a great thing to think about and like exercise as a muscle, but they might have to like think about it differently or like maybe they can practice it by reading code that is designed in a more clean way or like taking code that they written earlier and try to just rename things so that Mm -hmm. it makes more sense. So you're not thinking about like how to do the code and make it work. It already works. You just kind of have to give things better names. Right. Yeah. Maybe it could be a situation where, okay, first it's named K and then you write this for a loop, you get that under control and then you come back and you think about, okay, how do I, you know, iterate on this naming? How do I name it something that now is more descriptive? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Like, I feel like that happens a lot where like you're trying to name a class or a method and it's like, this thing is a foo right it's, now. It does the thing, yeah. It's, it's a foo it's, it's a thing fi- doer, and <laughs> and then it has a method do thing. Yeah, Bob. Yeah. Naming is hard, and we should all lean into ubiquitous language to help us name our variables and classes and objects. Because you know, some things it's got to be a foo bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, but but and, then but then once you once you're done you like commit 
it works in a commit and then you can rename it to something better or like, you know, get a pair, get some other eyes, talk, have a conversation with the product people, the designers and bring people together and talk about what it is, how it fits in the big picture. Yeah. I almost wonder if it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing, right? Like you could name it FUBAR and then you write it and it does the thing and it works and the tests pass. But what if like you all agreed on the name from the beginning, maybe that would inform how you wrote your code. And perhaps that's part of the point of ubiquitous language and domain-driven design. Yeah, yeah. There are like tools that you can use too to try and tease this out in more of a fully formed kind of way. There's this exercise called event storming, which is maybe a longer topic that we don't have time to go into right now, but a tale for another another day <laughs> stay tuned stay tuned so yeah you could like work together with all the people who are involved and have the knowledge and come up with the good names and the good language that will help you build things right out. yeah this event storm i think it's gonna be jasper <laughs> oh boy <laughs> <laughs> oh man i will say on a note that understand that the Conversation on ubiquitous language and creating the glossary are coming up with the language used by both parties, the domain and the technical experts is a conversation that happens throughout the existence of you building the application. It's not like you have it once and then you you go back and the glossary is finalized and everything is fine. Know that you will need to go and reach out to the domain expert to ask questions and ensure that what you're writing in the system is very similar to the real world application of the application you're building and know that it's just an ongoing conversation that will continue to happen as you're extending the app. So, you know, look at your app and reflect and see if you're following the principles of ubiquitous language. And if not, then change all your foobars into, you know, domain related names. Because I think it's important for you to go and find and look up and everyone speak in the same term. So you don't have this mental overhead of language when you're building your app. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.